Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. The song that we open up this morning with, Joy to the World, is the most popular Christmas song in all of church history. Yet, the song Joy to the World actually is not a Christmas song. It was written by a man named Isaac Watts, and it was written from the book of Psalms, telling about the promise that the Messiah would come to rule and reign over the world. The promises of joy to the world are actually promises that we are still waiting for. The promise that Jesus will come again when he will rule and reign forever. Mark chapter 13 this morning. Mark chapter 13 as we are walking through the gospel of Mark. And in the gospel of Mark, we today we are going to look at Jesus talk about the end of the world. We're going to talk about his second coming. Yet I find it very interesting as I study this week, Mark chapter 13, and seeing Jesus talk about the end of the world, whenever you look at it, you can't help but see the Christmas story. You can't help but see the Christmas story whenever Jesus talks about his second coming. I believe that a reason for that is whenever you look at the Old Testament, the promises of Jesus' coming, there are many times in the Old Testament where you see Jesus, Jesus promised, Jesus' arrival promised, and sometimes it talks about his first coming, sometimes it talks about his second coming, and sometimes it talks about both in the same passage. It's kind of like if you're driving through Colorado and from a distance you're looking at the mountains and from a distance you look at the mountain and it looks like one mountain. But whenever you get closer or whenever you get to a different angle, you find that it's not, you're not looking at one mountain, you're looking at a series of mountains. And in Mark chapter number 13, Jesus is giving a promise about his return. He's giving a promise about his second coming, but he's also, it's multidimensional because he's also giving promises that were fulfilled in 70 AD. Some of the things that he describes were true in his day and they were true in our day. Some of the things that he promises are still to be fulfilled and some have already happened. What we're going to find today is that truly, when we look at this text, whenever we look at Jesus's arrival, that it's all one story. Jesus' first coming and his second coming are connected. So today we're going to see the hope that Jesus offers, the hope for believers that he offers with his second coming, and it's the same hope that he promised with his first. Mark chapter number 13 and verse number 1, the Bible says, follow along with me, we're going to read the whole chapter this morning, it says, and as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, what shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. 
But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to the councils and in the synagogues. You shall be beaten and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must be first published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father, the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in winter. For in those days shall the affliction shall be the affliction such as was not since the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of the earth. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth her leaves, ye you know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commandment commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight, or the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time as we study his word. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us again. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you. Lord, I thank you for every person who's here in the room to worship you and to study your word. And Father, I thank you for every person who's joining us today online. Lord, I pray that you bless them wherever they are watching from. And Lord, as we study your word, we're, we're looking at a passage that is more difficult to understand. But Holy Spirit, we, we trust you that you can lead us and guide us into all truth. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless this time. Lord, I ask that you'd be with me, fill me with your spirit as I preach and teach your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to uh, clearly deliver this truth. 
Lord, I pray that you be with every person who's here today. I ask that they would find what you would have them for them in your word. And Lord, I pray that our lives would be changed. I pray that as a result of what we find in your word, as always, we ask these things, that we would love you more as we see your great love for us, and we pray that you, that, that would be shown in how we love like you. Lord, please bless this time again, we pray. Thank you for your word and the ability that we have to study it together. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. As I studied this passage, I found very quickly that this is one of the most difficult chapters in all of the Bible. I did a lot of studying and I did a lot of research and basically what I found is this, is that no two preachers could agree on what this passage is saying. So today we're going to have fun and we're going to take a crack at it. Now I want, to, I want you to walk with me through this passage, but also I want you to know what we are looking at. Jesus is giving some prophecy. Jesus is talking about some things that we know were fulfilled in 70 AD, and I'll point that out to you as we walk through it. We're also going to see Jesus talk about uh, the end of the world, but uh, I want to compare this walkthrough that we're going to do of Mark chapter 13 to a walk through a, a dense forest, all right? Imagine a forest that is full of, of unkept, there's no paths, it's just a bunch of weeds and vine and brushes and trees everywhere, and we're trying to get through it. Now, we can try to get through it one of two ways. We can either try to chop our way through it, or we can take a big overview over the forest. And I think that whenever you go through a forest on foot, uh, a lot of times we can miss the forest for the trees, and we can get caught up on stuff. And the last thing I want to do is spend the next four or five weeks getting tangled in everything that is in this text. But what we're going to do today is we're going to take an overview. We are going to see how this chapter connects, how it relates to our lives, how it connects to the overall story of the Bible, how it connects to Christmas, and how it connects, how it gives we as believers hope. So today we're going to do an overview of this text. And as we do, uh, we're going to fly through this. And I want to say from the very beginning what the purpose of this message is. And it's this, that what Jesus says at the end is what we're working towards, and it's this statement, all right? So if we struggle through this, and there's a good chance that I might struggle through this, so I appreciate your patience with me. Uh, but as we walk through this, if you don't get anything else, get this. My relationship and your relationship with Jesus is the only thing that will last forever, all right? My relationship and your relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that will last forever, all right, can you say, say that with me? My relationship with Jesus is the only thing that will last forever. If you're watching online, type it in the comment section of wherever you're watching from. My relationship with Jesus is the only thing that will last forever. My relationship with Jesus is the only thing that will last forever. So it should be the main thing that I live for today. My relationship with Jesus is the only thing that will last forever so it should be the main thing that I live for today. Jesus is going to talk about the end of the world, and here's what he's going to say. He's going to say that finish lines demand focused lives. Finish lines demand focused lives. If you're going to run a race, and you're going to prepare for that race, the important thing that you need to know to run that race is, hey, where is the finish line? That affects how you train, that's prepared, that affects how you prepare. If you're planning on running a marathon, if you're planning on running 26.2 miles, God bless you. You're on your own. I'm not joining you on that race. 
if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to train a certain way. You're going to focus on certain things. Versus if you're going to run a 100-meter dash, you're going to train and you're going to focus in different ways. Jesus is laying out for us a finish line. And that finish line is something that gives us focus, it gives us clarity, it gives us peace and joy and hope. So let's walk through this passage and see what God has for us today. First of all, I want you to notice the first scene of this text, we see a misplaced hope. We see a misplaced hope. Look with me in verse, verse number one. It says that he went out of the temple. One of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Now, as we start off with this chapter, I want to remind you where we've been the last several weeks. This is the last week of Jesus's life. Uh, this is the last week of his public ministry. At the end of this week, Jesus is going to be crucified and he's going to fulfill his purpose. The reason why he came, the reason why he was born, the reason why we sing about all of that is because Jesus was born to die for the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have a relationship with God. And in this final week, Jesus has been tested and Jesus has spent his final week in the temple teaching, uh, giving some final lessons and he's been tested and we and we see here in verse number one that he is now leaving the temple he's now leaving the temple so what we've been studying for the last several weeks i believe that it was on tuesday what we've studied the last couple of weeks with the religious rulers coming and testing jesus and jesus giving his lesson about uh the 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 man who planted a vineyard and rented it out to tenants this is all i believe on tuesday and on tuesday night jesus leaves the temple he leaves Jerusalem to go back to Bethany, where he has been staying. Now, this is right outside of the city, and this is on the Mount of Olives. So it's on a very large hillside, and Jesus goes back to the Mount of Olives. And here it says that he goes out to the Mount of Olives, and from the Mount of Olives, you can see Jerusalem. You can see the temple. And the disciples, at the end of the day, they hear all of Jesus's teaching they hear all of what jesus has done and the pharisees and the disciples rather say hey jesus hey we know we know what you've said we've heard we've been hearing what you've been saying but hey listen uh hey you you gotta you gotta look at the temple like the temple it's pretty legit uh hey it, it's beautiful it's big uh from some of the study that i found i found that the stones of the temple that the building blocks of the temple were like uh i believe if i remember right 40 feet high like each each individual stone, uh, and it was, uh, they were ginormous, and, and they were coated, they were filled with gold, uh, they were filled with gold, and it was a, it was really a sight to behold. So the disciples say, hey, Jesus, hey, we've heard everything that you've said, but hey, listen, the, the, the temple, you, I, we know that you called it a den of thieves, but the temple, it, you know, it's pretty sweet. It, it's beautiful to look at, it's, it's impressive, and it's a great sign, it's a great signal of uh, where we worship, of what we do, of how great Judaism is. And then in verse number two, Jesus says, seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So, so the disciples are saying, hey, this is, this is a pretty awesome building. And Jesus says, guys, I got something to tell you. I, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but hey, it's not going to be too long before this temple, uh, it's going to be destroyed. Uh, these, these massive building blocks, these massive stones, hey, they're, they're going to be completely torn down. And in fact, he says that not one stone will be laid on another. 
Now you could read that and you could think that that's hyperbole. Jesus is just saying, Jesus is just saying something to say that, hey, it's going to be destroyed. But what we were told, what we're told by the historian, by the Jewish historian Josephus, is that in 70 AD, the Roman Empire, that, the, that Israel led a revolt, led a rebellion against the Roman Empire. And in 70 AD, Rome brought in their armies and they completely destroyed the temple. And the temple had so much gold in it that they literally tore apart every single block and melted it all down so they could get all of the gold out of the temple so that not one stone was left on another. So Jesus gives a prophecy here in verse number two. Uh, this prophecy was made around 30 AD. This was, Mark was probably written around 40 or 50 AD. And 20 years after this was most likely written, Jesus's promise, Jesus's prophecy came true. So what is the big deal? What is the big deal with Jesus prophesying this? And what does it have to do with me today? In verse number three, I want you to look with me. It says, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us what shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Now, I, I read that and I can't help but imagine Jesus just saying, uh, hey, this is going to be destroyed. Not one stone's going to be left on another. It's going to be completely and thoroughly wiped out. That represents all of Israel's hope. And then he walks off. So then later, these four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, all come to Jesus. They all show up to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, we need to have, we need to have a private conversation. Uh, Jesus, we, we got to ask you about something. You said something earlier that it really shook us. We got we to gotta talk about this some more. So they say, Jesus, what, what is about this destruction of the temple? What, uh, what is going to happen? When will these things be? And, and their world is really shaken. What we see here is we see a misplaced hope. We see a misplaced hope because for the, for the Pharisees, for the religious rulers, for the, for the disciples, all of their hope is in the temple. All of their hope is in their religion. And, and Jesus has been spending his time confronting what Judaism has become. Judaism that was established in the Old Testament had mutated into this, into this mess, into this monster uh, where, where it became man-centered and where it became tradition-centered and where it became all about my performance for God. And by the way, we, just, we all need to be careful of that to remember that, that my life, my relationship with God is not a performance-based Christianity. It is a relationship. It's something, hey, I, I'm supposed to walk with Jesus. And a lot of times it can mutate into something that is unpleasing to God. It had become all about the Pharisees. It had become all about uh, your ability to perform these religious actions. And their hope was, hey, everyone else is wrong. We have the temple where we truly worship. Jesus has been confronting that, and Jesus has been showing, showing everyone that, hey, your hope is in the wrong place. You've made this temple into a den of thieves. And here, here he says, hey, this thing is going to be destroyed. Now, I ask this question, uh, why did the temple need to be destroyed? If it's this beautiful place, uh, it has a lot of significance. Uh, what it, why is this so important? And in short, and this is something that should encourage all of us today, is the reason why it was okay to be destroyed is because it wasn't really needed anymore. You see, now, today, we don't need priests who will make sacrifices on our behalf. Jesus, the great high priest, gave himself as an offering for sin. And he has made you a believer priest so that you don't have to go. The Bible tells us that you don't have to go to a priest and confess your sin. 
You don't have to go to a confessional booth and, and confess your sin to a priest. The Bible says that you are a believer priest who can go to God yourself. Hey, you don't need a temple. Uh, like Jesus say, hey, you don't need a temple because you have been made the temple. You have been made the temple of God. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so we don't, need a, we don't need a priest because we have a great high priest and you've been made a believer priest who can go directly to God. So the Bible says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Hey, you can pray at any time. You can go to God yourself. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy for any opportunity that I can be a help to you, that I can be a blessing to you, that I can come alongside of you. But you know what? We, and that's what we as believers should do. We should all come alongside of each other. But here's the truth. You don't need me to pray for you. Like, I will pray for you. We all need to pray for each other. But that doesn't negate the fact that, hey, you can go to God yourself. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty amazing. You, you can go to God. You can have a relationship with God because the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. So we see that there is this misplaced hope. And, and whenever we look at the scripture, what we find is that misplaced hope is all throughout the Bible. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned before God, their hope was that they could be like God. Their hope was that, uh, that they would know all things. Their hope would be that they would know, know everything like God knows everything. Their hope was misplaced. Misplaced hope is something that we all are guilty of. It's part of our sinful nature. Could I ask you this question? What is your hope placed in this morning? Is your hope placed in, is your hope placed in a bank account? Is your, hope pla- is your hope based on your place of employment? Is your hope based on uh, the opinion of your peers or the opinion of, of a parent? What, what is your hope built on? And because of Jesus, we can say, or we should say this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. He is the hope of the ages that we sang about. He is our living hope. Hey, we don't have to hope in, we don't have to trust in, we don't have to rely on other things because Jesus is our hope. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas, that hope came down and was born and dwelt among us. We celebrate that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. We see here in this text, we see a misplaced hope. But then next I notice in our text, the next scene of our text is an imploding world, an imploding world. And here's where it gets a little bit, it gets a, a little bit difficult. Uh, it gets a little bit difficult and hard to, a little hard to understand. But whenever I look at this, we see an implosion of the world system. And whenever I was thinking about this and looking at this text, it, w- it reminded me of whenever I was, I believe I was in fourth grade and I was sitting in my classroom. And as I was sitting in my classroom, all of a sudden our principal walked in Uh, to our class, and he said something about an attack, and I didn't really know what was going on until later that day I went home and saw on TV the World Trade Center uh, implode and collapse. And I'm sure that everyone here would remember, most everyone here would remember uh, that day whenever the World Trade Centers uh, were hit and the terrorist attack of 9-11. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget the sight of that building imploding. And this week I looked a little bit into it, like how does a building do that? And there are some factors, and I'm not going to bore you with the nerdy details, the, the geeky details of how that happened. But as I look at, as I learned about the factors of how the World Trade Center imploded, let's look at the factors of how 
that our world is going to, our world implodes. In verse number six, we see that there are false Christs. There are false Christs. And it says in verse number six, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, uh, and they shall deceive many. They shall deceive many. So in verse six, it says that there's going to be people who claim to be God. There's going to be people who claim to be Christ's. And they're going to deceive people. And that happened in the days of Jesus. Those were some factors that led into the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Uh, There were people who said that they were the Messiah. So they said, hey, let's lead a revolt against Rome. And it didn't turn out so well. Uh, The Bible says that in the last days, there will be an antichrist who will say that he is God. Uh, So there are false Christs. In verse number seven, we see that in the implosion of the world that there are wars and rumors of war. It says in verse seven, it says, when you shall hear of wars and rumors of war, be ye not troubled for such things must need be, but the end shall not be yet. So there are wars wars and rumors of wars. Uh, And that's something that has been for all of time. I believe in history, it's been compiled that over uh, as long as the earth has been, there's been about 280 ish years of peace. All right. So there's always been wars and rumors of wars, but Jesus says that there's going to be, that's going to be exceedingly so wars and rumors of wars. In verse number eight, there's going to be natural disasters. Uh, In verse eight, there's going to be natural disasters like earthquakes and famines and uh, pestilences and viruses and all of, all of that. There's going to be natural disasters. And then in verse nine through 13, it says that there's spiritual persecution, spiritual persecution people who are persecuted, people who are attacked for simply believing and following Jesus. Uh, And then in verses 14 through 27, there is complete chaos. And that I would encourage you to read maybe sometime, uh, maybe sometime whenever you have the time to read through some of that. But basically this world is just becoming exceedingly a mess. And that's what Jesus is prophesying. So we see this imploding world that Jesus talks about that leads towards the end of the world. And I asked the question, why is it such a mess? Why is the world such a mess? Why is the world such a mess today? And what we find in this is that the scary chaos of Mark chapter 13 is the reality of our world without a savior. The reality of our world without a savior. Because the world has rejected God, it brings destruction upon itself. Whenever you or I, whenever I reject God, I bring I bring punishment upon myself. Uh, so we see that this is because of an absent, uh, because of an absent or because better a rejected savior. And then it, next, the next scene that we see here is the arrival of the savior, the arrival of the savior. And that's something that gives me hope is that, hey, our world may be a mess, but Jesus is still with us. Uh, God is still Emmanuel. He is still with us. He still gives us hope, and we see the arrival of the Savior. So Jesus talks about his arrival. In verse number 28, it says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth her leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the door. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porters to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, 
at even or at midnight or the cock crowing or in the morning. So uh, Jesus says, hey, listen, all of these things happen, but don't worry, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. So then he describes a little bit of what we should understand about his second coming. And here is the main thing that I want you to, here is a big thing that I want you to take away from Jesus talking about his upcoming arrival. As he says that there is some uncertainty around his arrival. There's some uncertainty about his second coming. Now, the uncertainty is not if he is coming again. The uncertainty is when he is coming again. All right? Jesus says that no one knows when he is coming again. All right? So let me give you just a little bit of, uh, let me give you a little, bit of, a little bit of advice. If someone says that they know when Jesus is coming again, run. If someone says, hey, I can predict for you, hey, in, in 2000, whatever, uh, hey, let me, uh, if you, if I, if I, if someone say that they know when Jesus is coming again, they are in direct opposition to what Jesus said. Jesus said, nobody knows when he is coming again, but we do know that he is coming again. We do know that he is coming again. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So then here's what he says about his arrival. Here's what he says about his arrival. He tells a story, he gives a parable, and he says it is like a person who, it says he's the master of a house. Uh, so you have a, a, wealthy, a wealthy man, and he goes on a trip, and he leaves all that he owns uh, to a group of people. All right, And they don't know when he's coming back. They don't know when he's coming back. Uh, so they need to be prepared for his arrival. They don't need to be sleeping on the job. Whenever I was in college, I worked uh, security at the college that I went to, and oh man, it would be terrible sometimes. Uh, so on Sundays, I would, I would serve in a church, in a ministry, about an hour and a half away from where I went to college, and sometimes there were many nights where I would work on Saturday night, 10 o'clock at night until 6 o'clock in the morning, and then around 7 o'clock, I would drive that hour and a half to go uh, serve at that church. We would serve all day because uh, we would serve there all day, and then we'd get back uh, to the college around 9.30 at night, and then oftentimes I would work that Sunday night from like 10 o'clock at night till 2 in the morning, uh, or 10 o'clock at night till 6 in the morning, or 2 o'clock in the morning till 6 in the morning. And then at 7.30, I would go to college classes. Uh, so that would be brutal. Sometimes I was pretty, I was pretty wiped out. Uh, and one of the hardest things to do whenever you're working uh, those shifts is to stay awake, is to stay awake. Uh, and I'm just going to confess, I'm going to confess my sin. There were times where I slept on the job, but I never wanted to be sleeping on the job if the supervisor or if the boss, uh, or if, if somebody uh, that was in charge was around, you don't want to be sleeping because you never know when they're going to arrive. And it just isn't good. If you're, if you're a security, if you provide security and you're sleeping on the job, uh, here, Jesus is saying that he has he has left a group of people to care for what he loves and to be prepared and to be on watch because he is coming again. Jesus has left you. Jesus has placed you in a position to represent him in your place of employment, in your home, with your family. You are there to represent Jesus and to reach the people that he loves. Don't be sleeping on the job. Finally, as we get to this last, this last verse, verse number 37, we see the response 
that we are to have to the promise that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Let's respond to this. In verse number 37, he says, and what I say unto you, what I say to you, Peter and James and John and Andrew, what I say to you guys, I say to everyone. And he finishes with a one word sentence. Watch, watch. What is what does he say? What does that word word watch mean? It means to be ready. It means to be sober-minded. It means to be vigilant. It means to be prepared. Because Jesus is coming again and he's given us a responsibility to love him and to love like him wherever we go and to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I say unto you all, watch. That, that, that one sentence, watch, is an imperative sentence. You, watch. You, be ready. You, be sober, be vigilant. We have a job to do and our king is coming. As a, in closing, I would like to ask this question. Understanding that Jesus is coming again, there are tough times, there are tough days. Sometimes our world can be a scary place. But when I understand that Jesus is coming again, if I really believe that, if you really believe that, how would your life be different tomorrow than it is today? If you take this truth that Jesus is coming again and that he's with you and that he offers you hope and that no matter how bad times get, uh, that you can trust him and he, he will be with you, how would your life be different? How would your thoughts be different? Uh, I, I went through this exercise myself and something that I know is that if I really truly believe this, it's going to give me peace. It's going to give me peace. Because whenever I worry about, whenever I worry about uh, finances, whenever I worry about, about politics, whenever I worry about viruses, whenever I worry about anything, knowing that Jesus is with me and that he's coming again, if I really believe that, I'm not going to be so anxious. I'm not going to be so fearful. I'm not going to be so worried. Uh, if I believe this, it should give my heart peace and joy and hope for every person who knows and loves Jesus. We should love, for those of us who know Christ, we should love his appearing. As I look at this chapter and as I look at this story from, a, from an overview, from an overview, here's what we find. We find that there is a group of people who have misplaced hope. They've been trusting in themselves. They've been trusting in their religion. They've been trusting in their goodness. But because of that misplaced hope, it leads to utter chaos and destruction. But Jesus arrives. Jesus appears. God, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus shows up. And because of his arrival, it changes everything. My friend, that's the story of Scripture. That's the story of Scripture. A group of broken people who were pursued by God. And they were pursued to the point so much that even though they rejected God, God said, I'm not going to let you get away from me. So he became a man and dwelt among us and gave himself as a sacrifice for us. And my friend, that might be your story today. Maybe you've been a person who has been running from God. Maybe you're a person who's never given Jesus a second thought. Maybe you're a person who your, your hope and your trust is in your own goodness. Maybe, it's in, maybe you haven't thought about Jesus at all. 
My friend, the Christmas season is the story of this. God loves you so much that he pursued you. He pursued you so much that he came to dwell amongst man, to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you could have a relationship with God. That is the story of scripture. That is the story of Christmas. That is the story of his second coming. When Jesus came the first time, he came in humility and he came as a lamb who would suffer to die for the sins of the world. But when he comes again, he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming as the lion of Judah who's going to make all wrongs right. If you know that, if you believe that today, if you trust that today, that should give you hope and joy and peace in this holiday season. It should, it should affect how you are an ambassador in your home and in your workplace. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, honestly, it is a fearful thing to know that we'll stand before God someday and we'll answer this question, what did I do with Jesus? But today, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, today you can receive Jesus. You can receive Jesus. That's what Scripture is all about. I believe that's what Mark 13 is all about. If you would please bow your head and close your eyes with me for a word of prayer. We're going to ask God, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit uh, to apply this into our hearts. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us and thank you for the time that we've had to study your word. And Lord, this passage was a little more difficult. There is a lot. There's so much in here, but Lord, we thank you for the truth that even though we are broken people and even though we are so unfaithful, God, you are faithful. You pursued us and you gave yourself for us. And Lord, I ask that you would implement this, that you would drive this deep into our hearts and into our souls. Lord, I pray that for every believer who's here today who knows this truth that you are coming again, that you've pursued us, that you pursued a relationship with us and we accepted you. Lord, I pray that you be with every believer, that they would, uh, that they would have hope this season, that they would have joy this season, they would have peace this season, and that we would obey your command to watch, to be an ambassador, to be sober-minded, to be ready because finish lines demand focused lives. And when we understand that our relationship with you will last forever, may that be the main driving force of our lives. And Lord, I pray that you be with any person here who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. For any person who doesn't know Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd convict their hearts and draw them to yourself. May they see the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus, who even though we have continually rejected him, you still pursued us. And for any person who does not know Christ as Savior, I pray that they would receive you today. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just another moment. And we're about to have a time of prayer, and we're going to have a time for you to be able to respond to the message. And I'd like to ask you this. If you say, Pastor David, uh, you talked about knowing Jesus and receiving Jesus. I have never done that. I have never received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, but I would like to know how I can do that. I would like to know how I can receive Jesus Christ. Would you please pray for me? Uh, if you would please raise your hand, I would love to pray for you. I will not call you out or embarrass you or anything, anything like that. If you're watching online, if you're watching online and you don't know Christ and you would like to know how you can receive Jesus, uh, send us a private message and we would love to talk to you. We'd love to have a conversation with you about how you can know Jesus Christ 
as Savior. If you'd like to talk to someone, we're going to finish. We're going to close with a song. We're going to sing uh, that ending song, Hope of the Ages, in just a moment. But when we sing that song, if, you would like, if you're in the room and you'd like to talk to somebody about that, um, Jaden is over here. He would, love to, he would love to help you or connect you with someone who can show you from the Bible how you can receive Christ. Uh, if you have trusted Christ, if you're, if you're watching online and you've never received Christ, send us a direct message. And if you have received Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior, uh, let me encourage you to receive this truth and live a life focused on the gospel and what Jesus wants to and can do in your heart. Uh, if you would please stand with me. We're gonna, you can go ahead and look up as we sing this song. Take some time to.